It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. Hello and welcome into the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. I'm National Recruiting Analyst Cooper Patekna alongside 24-7 Sports Director of Scouting Andrew Ivins. we got a great show for you today. How about those Clemson Tigers, Dabo Sweeney? I think he's heard the critics. Clemson now up to number three in the 24-7 Sports Composite Team Rankings in 2025. We'll talk a little bit about what they've done on the offensive line. Also, a little bit on the defensive line as well, like what, what, what they're doing there. Drew? He spent his time in Orlando over the weekend at the Under Armour Combine. We'll get some feedback from him. We'll revisit the five stars, 17 through 25, 2023. We'll talk about those guys as well. We'll also get to your viewer questions. But, Drew, let's start the show like we typically do with one little thing. How about UCLA in the hiring of Deshaun Foster, their running backs coach? He's been with the program since 2017, part of UCLA's Hall of Fame there as well. Took a job with the Las Vegas Raiders under Antonio Pierce. He was there for about a week until he got the call after Chip Kelly left his head coach post and went to be the OC at Ohio State. Deshaun Foster, he comes back. A quick hire for the Bruins. And Drew, they got some work to do. You and I were talking before the show. How about this stat? Over the last three years, there have been 58 players in the top 247. UCLA has only signed two of them. 58 players from the state of California, excuse me. The Bruins have only inked two of those guys. So, Drew, I don't know. It feels a little bit uh, Zach Arnett-ish. I think that's kind of what you brought up. Mississippi State last year, tough situation after Mike Leach passed away. Deshaun Foster coming in to the Big Ten 2024. The UCLA uh, Bruins have a, I would say, a, a, a pretty difficult task ahead, Drew. I kind of looked at the schedule earlier today, and I'm like trying to figure out a path to six, seven wins. I don't know. And as much as you want to knock Chip Kelly from a recruiting standpoint, they did win eight or more games over their last three seasons. So, Drew, I guess I'll just put it out there for you. Your initial thoughts to Sean Foster to UCLA. Well, you said, what, six or seven wins. I think FanDuel just came out with their season totals for everyone at the FBS levels, UCLA sitting at five and a half. I said it on signing day, Cooper. I think that Oregon position or whoever is going to be calling plays and running that program, I mean, they have their work cut out for them. Moving into the Big Ten, I think that if you look at all the schools that are changing conferences, UCLA is the one where you're like, all right, are, are they ready for this life? And then UCLA's administration hasn't done uh, that coaching staff any favors over the next five years they're going to face an SEC team unless things change and out of conference play at LSU home and home with Georgia home and home with Auburn I want to see what Deshaun Foster does from a recruiting standpoint we know that wasn't Chip Kelly's strength he liked to live in the transfer portal everyone seemed to kind of catch up to him and there's going to be another window but um, it's a bit watered down in terms of what's available how about this Cooper over the past three cycles, UCLA has signed more prospects out of Massachusetts than they have Arizona. I think that is uh, certainly alarming for me. We know there's a recruiting base there uh, in L.A. and the surrounding areas, but UCLA, to me, it would make so much sense, especially with them now in the Big Ten, to go into a state like Arizona, which is churning out more and more talent. So I want to see what Deshaun Foster's plan is when it comes to talent acquisition from 
the high school ranks. The interesting part about this one for me is that Deshaun Foster has been with this program since 2017. I mentioned that, but he's been under Chip Kelly uh, over the last handful of years. And this is a program that is completely stagnant from a recruiting standpoint. And Drew, I brought up the stat of about 58 players in the top 247 from the state of California over the last three years and UCLA only signing two of those guys. I wonder what Deshaun Foster's kind of vision for the program is going to be in terms of this is kind of all he knows, right, at this level in terms of the way that Chip Kelly has recruited. So we'll see what happens with UCLA. A very difficult schedule, very hard non-con as well. They have to go to Baton Rouge and LSU face Brian Kelly. Drew brought up the stat as well. Massachusetts, Arizona, who would have thought? So UCLA, we'll see what happens with Deshaun Foster. Certainly a good thing for some of those guys around there at Kaika Malloy, Jerry Neuheisel, and the rest of the gang get to stick around for the foreseeable future. Guys, just a reminder, you are listening to the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. And uh, if you're watching on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel, make sure to like and subscribe. You can also find us wherever you find your podcasts as well. All right, Drew, long-winded from yours truly here to open the show. So I'm going to tee you up. You and I were talking, Drew. You're a big fan of what Clemson has done in the high school ranks here in 2025, especially on the offensive line. I think you think they got a pretty good chance to sign the best offensive line class in the country and drew sneaky good hire by Dabo Sweeney if you want to call it that Matt Luke man getting it done in 2025 yeah this is something that started to develop in the back of my head when we were in that 24 7 sports war room last week Cooper you know I like what the early look of that offensive line class is for the Tigers they just added Brandon Jacobs a top 247 tackle a few weeks ago well I go to Orlando right for the Under Armour uh next camp series first stop and this is going to sound weird but I think the strongest position group in Orlando remember it was Super Bowl Sunday a lot of no-shows was the offensive line there was uh, a handful of blue chip prospects there and Cooper what I thought was notable is a lot of these kids were talking about visiting Clemson and one of the big reasons why is because that new offensive line coach Matt Luke I think this is a hire that flew under the radar for Dabo. You know, he goes outside of his coaching tree and brings in a veteran SEC coach that was at one time a sitting head coach. And I think Matt Luke is doing an excellent job of getting the Tigers involved with high-profile offense alignment. So they got Brandon Jacobs committed, Easton Ware committed, Jalen Beckley committed, all right? Those three are in the boat. And remember, when you commit to Clemson, normally – you're not looking around. Now, they're also going to get official visits in May from Zaire Anderson, uh, Addison excuse me, and Max Buchanan. Those were two, one of the, two of the top offensive linemen in Orlando. And Cooper, you can keep going down the list. You know, David Sanders, number one ranked offensive tackle in the country. He has been a regular in Death Valley. That's the one I kind of have circled. All right. You know, can the Tigers get that one done? And there's a few other guys out there, Chauncey Goodwin and Mason Short, uh, Mal Waldrip, Gavin Blanchard. The list is long, and I think it's important for Clemson. We always bring up the transfer portal. Dabo isn't going to go get veterans. How about this? The Tigers haven't signed more than four offensive linemen in a recruiting class since back in 2020. That's when they took six guys. I think they're volume shooting here. And this seems like a course correction for Mr. Sweeney realizing, all right, I got to get some big bodies in the building. Drew, what's your, what's your feel on Clemson going forward? Because it's, you know, what's fascinating. I think me in particular, I've been pretty constructive of, of Dabo Sweeney and I think his reluctance 
uh, to use the transfer portal. And I think a lot of people, a lot of people have, right? I mean, that's, it's not for uh, lack of that being publicized, his, uh, I would say, limitations in terms of entering the transfer portal. That being said, he, he's made his bed. He seems very comfortable there in terms of recruiting the high school ranks. And then you look at what they've done. They hired Garrett Riley, kind of goes outside uh, of what he has typically done in promoting internally. Hires Garrett Riley from TCU, hires Matt Luke, who had been out of the game, uh, I believe, for a couple years. And Drew, now you look at Clemson, what they're getting done in this class. You and I, on the signing day show last week in Nashville, we just kind of kept talking about these guys, right? Guys like Christian Bentonker, guys like TJ Moore, guys like Bryant Wesco. Clemson just kind of kept coming up. They're doing a really good job in terms of the talent ID and evaluation. We know that they have a limited margin of error when it comes to high school, but Drew, in terms of player development, in terms of experience, I don't know. Maybe it's not this year, but you know, two to three years from now, I could see Clemson all of a sudden similar to Michigan it all accumulating at one point and then Dabo Sweeney finding himself in a really good spot that they haven't been in quite some time. Well, think about it like this, uh, Cooper. 2023 cycle was the defensive line hall, right? The Peter Woods, the TJ Parkers, they loaded up at that group. 2024 cycle, it was the pass catchers. You just said it, Benson Kerr, Bryant Wesco, TJ Moore. We like all of those individuals. And now in 2024, it could be the offensive line. They're also doing a great job uh, in the trenches on the defensive side of the ball. But you're right. I think they are um, kind of getting that roster the way it needs to be. Again, I think the Matt Luke hire is not being talked about enough. I know the coaching carousel keeps spinning, and there's a lot of moving pieces, guys jumping off to uh, the NFL. But Matt Luke, I mean, he is someone that has a strong track record of developing these uh, big athletic bodies. Greg Little, Larry Tunsil, Broderick Jones, Amarius Mims. He was involved in all of those recruitments. So I guess I'm just saying I'm excited to see what this group can be for the Clemson Tigers. And David Sanders is the guy. I'm circling, all right? You know, it takes a certain kid to want to go play at Clemson, kind of like with Notre Dame, we always bring that up. And to me, having spent some time around David Sanders, I do think he fits that kind of all-in vision there at Clemson. Drew, are you surprised that Dabo Sweeney hasn't used the portal, even with the, the, the public pressure kind of mounting? I think he's waiting for it to, I don't know, for some guardrails to go in place and for it to go away. But the NCAA, from what we've seen so far, it's going the other direction. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a bit surprised, but he seems to be uh, pretty stubborn about what he, his ways and, and doing it his way. Uh, I'll tell you what, Drew. You, you mentioned Braden Jacobs, the son of Brandon Jacobs. You might remember that name. Played for the New York Giants there in a couple Super Bowls uh, in the NFL. Drew, 6'7", 300 pounds plus. He almost has 11-inch hands. You look at this guy, a little bit raw coming in the season, transfers to Buford, left tackle, protecting Dylan Riola. I turned on the tape today. This is a guy that I really like a lot. Big, physical kid that can move and play at the second level. He seems like he has grown into his body. I think the last time you and I saw him was in February, this time last year at the Under Armour camp in Atlanta, the same camp we'll be at this weekend. And it, I went back and I watched that combine tape today, and I was just like, man, this is a guy that just doesn't feel like he's in sync yet, right? He's still trying to figure it out in terms of he's got these long limbs and he's a really good athlete and the feet kind of feel a little bit sloppy. I turned on the tape today. I was a little bit wowed. I mean, I, I really like this kid. And and Drew, I was kind of laughing and chuckling to myself because we're here we are talking about Matt Luke, who used to be at the University of Georgia, obviously the head coach at Ole Miss before that. 
he reminded me of a guy that we would see typically picked up by Kirby Smart. But, I mean, you talk about Clemson, right, and, and the path to the field. A lot of these offensive linemen are going to have to play early. Drew, if that's the case, guys like Braden Jacobs make a lot of sense for what Clemson and Dabo Sweeney need to get when it comes to their premium beef on the offensive line. Yeah, I think the other thing, I mean, I, I touched on it a little bit before, but how many kids back off pledges from Clemson? Like, normally once they commit, they do a good job of, of getting them, uh, and I'm going to use the quotes here, all in. And um, so we'll, we'll see what it looks like. I think that May 31st weekend for the Tigers is going to be exciting. I mean, we're already getting a few names. That Zaire Addison kid just just broke him down this morning, watched one of his full games. I, I think he's got a ton of potential and an open play inside, outside. Kind of reminds me similar of Elijah Thurman, who they just signed in the 2024 cycle. So I think Clemson is also doing a good job there of getting guys that aren't going to be pigeonholed into one spot. I think Matt Luke wants versatile bodies, and he, he's going to figure out how to get his best five. Now, if David Sanders were to pick uh, the, the Tigers, I think you could pencil him in as uh, the left tackle, and that allows Brandon Jacob to go play on the right side. All right, we've almost gone 10 minutes on Clemson, but I wrote this in my notes, and I want to make sure that I mention it. Isaiah Campbell and Mari Adams, Drew, I have the audit for defensive line, point of attack players on defense. I watched these two, both committed to Clemson, both guys that we have in the top 247. I love these kids, uh, and one from South Carolina, the other one from North Carolina. You talk about getting it done. Matt Luke, Nick Eason on the other side, defensive line coach. Clemson certainly getting it done at the point of attack. That travels. That's a big thing. Guys, I mentioned you can find the Oyster Boys every Tuesday and Wednesday. How about Monday at 24-7 Sports here on the YouTube channel? You can find the 24-7 Sports College Football Recruiting Show hosted by Emily Proud and Blair Angulo. They do a tremendous job. Guys, please make sure to like and subscribe. You can also find them at 5 o'clock Eastern times. All right, Drew, you spent some time on the road. And, hey, credit to Drew, right? Everybody thinks it's easy, the rankings, all this type of stuff. I don't know who, who's ever said that, Drew. But Drew works. He works hard, I promise you. Guy was in Nashville breaking it down 2024. The next week he is off working in Orlando. We'll be in Atlanta again this weekend breaking down these Under Armour camps. And, Drew, these are huge exposures for us here at 24-7 Sports, and especially when it comes to the evaluation process. But let's start with Florida State, man, a couple of guys that kind of jump off the tape for you and guys that you got to see this weekend. How about Solomon Thomas, man, the number one interior offensive lineman in the country, number 22 player overall. Tramel Jones also doing some things this weekend. You got to see Ethan Pritchard there as well. Florida State, Mike Norvell, we've talked about those guys getting it done, improving on the high school ranks. Drew, you got to see a couple of these guys in person this weekend. What was your initial impressions of the trio you got to see that's going to be playing their ball in Tallahassee? Yeah, man, I, I love Solomon Thomas. And after talking with him, I kind of like him e even more. You remember, this is a kid we had listed as a tackle. We moved him to IOL. He's our number one ranked IOL. And he was in a media scrum, and he admitted to all the reporters assembled. He's like, yeah, I'm going to be a guard in college, but my high school needs me to play offensive tackle. And that's usually the case for these uh, individuals. Wasn't a top performer uh, on Sunday. I guess you could have made a case that he was in there. I mean, everyone seems to have opinions on who – the best 11 were out there. Uh, some of them are biased. Mine are unbiased. But I thought it was a solid day for him. Coop, what's interesting about Solomon Thomas, he played his entire junior season with like a broken hand. He told me he finally got kind of cleared and he's 100% there. I think this guy is an interior projection all the way. Could play some right tackle. And I think for Florida State, you know, he's the offensive lineman. I not only feel the most confident about hitting – 
uh, since Mike Norvell has arrived there in Tallahassee, but maybe since Landon Dickerson back in like 2018. It's a it's a massive get for the Seminoles and Alex Atkins. Uh, we know what they want to do on offense. They want to smash you in the middle, kind of pin and pull with some of those interior guys. So loved what I saw out of Solomon. I know some other uh, schools are chipping away at him, but he seems all in on Florida State. I think that's important. Tramel Jones, their quarterback commit, my second live exposure to him of the offseason. Uh, got to see him at Battle Miami. He was solid there. And then he won MVP uh, of this camp, uh, voted on by the coaches. You know, I think he's kind of the ideal take for them after Mike Norvell brings in Luke Cromanhawk, who is maybe low floor, high ceiling. I, I think Tramel Jones. You know, you know what you're getting with him. Not the biggest kid, measured six foot on the dot, 195 pounds. Um, but he's gotten better, three-year starter in every key statistical category, improving not only the completion percentage, but yards per attempts, cutting down on the interceptions. You know, I'm interested to see if he gets into the Elite 11 finals. You know, we have no say on that, but he's one where I think it would be a great kind of exposure point for him. And, and Coop, I've been searching for a player comp for Tramel Jones. And he kind of reminds me of, uh, remember the guy Brady White, who was at Memphis? You know, Mike Norvell was there. I think there's some similarities. Uh, and then finally, Ethan Pritchard, linebacker. This was the best guy in terms of those mid skills and, and coverage. You know, comes out of Sanford Seminole. I think it's a great program. Most of their kids are ready to go. Six foot one, 200 pounds, went four, six, on the lasers and just knowing what the Seminoles have taken kind of in recent cycles. I think I, I get the most excited about him and what he would be able to do uh, in passing situations. Is it okay that I have like an inconclusive grade on Tramel Jones right now? I turned on the tape this morning. I'm trying to, I'm trying to kind of figure out like, or what is the vision for this player? And I'm excited that you got to see him in person. You brought up the point. I think the biggest thing, I, I would kind of like to see him on a good-on-good -good setting around some of the other best signal callers in the country, something like the Elite 11 Regionals Finals. Obviously, I think that would be a great venue for him. Drew, you kind of dig in a little bit, 60% passer this past year, and, and you said it, a guy that's improved in every major statistical category. The traits just don't jump off the tape for me. I think that's kind of the biggest thing. So it's fascinating, once again, that Florida State, I think they kind of rolled the dice this past cycle with Luke Cromanhawk taking him early. And a guy like Luke Cromanhawk ends up rewarding Mike Norvell in the, in the long term as well, end up blossoming into one of the best quarterbacks in the country. We'll see what happens with Tramel Jones. But am I off there to think that this guy is – I think the, the way that you described him is right, right? A little bit more of a higher floor – but I don't know about that ceiling. I don't know if this is a guy that ultimately at the end of the day, you're going to say, all right, this is kind of like a, a top 100 prospect for us. Yeah, yeah. I just, I, you know, I don't know what the X factor is. And I went back and I watched him in the state finals. You know, he led his team to an 11-4 record. They made it all the way to Tallahassee where you know, in this, you know, in, in the same city where he's going to go to school, you know isn't the most dynamic athlete. You know, I think he kind of locks on to his first read. And when your first read is Jamie French, one of the top wide receivers in the 2025 cycle, it, it makes sense. So, you know, I want to see him as a senior. All right. Like what, what is the, the football IQ? Is he making those progressions? Has he taken a step forward in that department and having been around Trammell, having talked with the coaches there, uh, not only at Jacksonville Mandarin, but also at the Under Armour camp, like he is a sharp individual, like between the ears. I just think that hasn't fully translated over to the football field. And Cooper, he also like lost six fumbles as, as a junior. So got to get better at 
protecting the football. But I think for FSU, again, you know, you take Luke. Now you got Tremel. You know what you're kind of getting with him. And I was talking with someone close to the Florida State program over the weekend, and they're still excited about Brock Glenn. I know what everyone saw on their TV screens from the true freshman in 2023 wasn't ideal. Uh, but someone pointed out to me that he couldn't snap a football throughout much of fall camp in the season because he was dealing with like a thumb injury. So they're still excited about Brock Lynn as well. Long way to go there at Florida State, man. You start thinking about these quarterbacks. Tramel Jones still has his senior season to play. We'll be watching that as well. Drew, a couple other guys that caught your eyes there in Orlando. We look at guys like Vernell Brown, a guy that's a pretty dynamic athlete, and then another one, Tavion Swint, committed to Central Florida. Uh, Drew, I, I think – as you and I talk about 2025, am I wrong in saying that Tavion Swint to UCF is one of your favorite player program fits so far in this cycle? Yeah, you look at UCF last season, you know, their top two running backs caught over 30 passes, a combined 30 passes. Gus Malzahn, he watches offense, uh, power spread, like they, they also like to get those uh, ball carriers involved in the passing game. And, and Tavion Swint, was the best route runner of the running backs on uh, Sunday. And it wasn't even close. You know, he missed part of his junior season with an injury, but he still has ran for over 2,500 yards uh, on Friday nights in one of the Sunshine State's higher classifications. I love the marriage between UCF and Swint. You know, they, they're trying to pitch him on being the hometown hero. Now, Ole Miss and Georgia are both kind of lingering in the shadows, but I get excited about him in the new look Big 12 reminds me a little bit uh, of Devin Motor Singletary, who was another kind of undersized running back out of the Sunshine State, went to FAU, uh, now in the league. So like that one. And then you brought up Vernell Brown, Cooper. Um, I get excited about Vernell Brown because I think this is going to be one of these rare battles between the big three in the in the state of Florida. You got Florida where his dad and, and grandfather played. You got FSU involved. You got Miami involved. You know, we list him as an athlete, but I came out of Sunday saying, all right, he is a dynamic slot, elite run after catch, had a monster junior season there at Orlando Jones, 70 catches, 1,300 yards, 10 touchdowns. Also scored four four times via the return game. Not the biggest individual, uh, and, and Koopa, it was funny. I was actually recently talking to someone about this. All right, you're trying to project, you know, these slot receivers, the guys that are, uh, you know, under five foot eleven. Went back to the 2023 NFL draft and looked at the first few ones that came off the board. So that's guys like Zay Flowers, Tank Dell, Josh Downs, Trey Tucker, Darius Davis. What do they all have in common? Elite two-way production at the high school level and all of them aside from zay flowers who was a really good basketball player had excellent track and field markers notably in the jumps triple jump and long jump vernell brown two-time state qualifier in the triple jump i think he could break 45 this spring so he's going to be a riser for us went four five on the lasers in the 40-yard dash i think it was one of the fastest times of the day it might sound nauseating when we talk about it, especially it, it, every position. Every position is different. Offense, defensive line, mid-skill, skill in terms of what track and field events we think are the most uh, have to do with the successful indicators on the field. And Drew talked about it. Drew, I think one of the things that we kept going back to uh, with Jeremiah Smith uh, when he was the number one overall player in the country, obviously – we had a lot of supplementary data points, the live evaluations accumulated through over the years. But I think the thing that you always mentioned that I thought was so important was 
the 100 and 400 meter hurdles that he was a part of, state champ there as well. Not so much the times that Jeremiah Smith ran that, those events. Those are some of the most difficult track and field events there are in terms of uh, endurance as well. And then you get a little bit of a vibe in terms of the competitive temperament too when it comes to these guys. You learn a little bit of everything about them. Uh, Guys, we've talked about 2024, excuse me, a little bit of 2024, a little bit of 2025. And remember, if you've been following along the last couple weeks, maybe signing day kind of threw you off that scent a little bit. But we've been breaking down the 2023 five stars as well. We went one through 16. You can find that on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. Now we're going to go 17 through 25. So we only got one more week until we get uh, to the end of 2023. And Drew, I've, I've really liked this exercise because I've gone back. I've, I've gotten to watch the PFF tape on these guys. Get to study it a little bit. And you kind of get that first year vibe of like, all right, how are we feeling, right? What's the what's the return on investment here on the guys that we bet on to be potential first-round draft picks? Let's start at the top, man. Number 17, Anthony Hill Jr. Got to say, Drew, I'm feeling pretty good about that one. 545 snaps, and this was a guy that really kind of emerged on in the scene when Texas beat Alabama in the beginning of the season. And you talk about a freshman just being unlocked by defense coordinator Pete Kwiatkowski. Drew, Playing him off the edge, playing him off ball as well. You talk about an instinctive guy with incredible range, the ability to play sideline to sideline. He's got really good key diagnosability as well. We talked about it, right? You talked about the two-way ability of some of these high school players being successful indicators when projecting to the next level. How about that for Anthony Hill? Was one of the most decorated athletes in all of high school football last year, especially at Denton Ryan, playing at one of the highest levels in the state of Texas. Drew, I think the thing that we thought about Anthony Hill was there was a conversation about LB1 last year. Was it going to be Anthony Hill? Was it going to be Raylan Wilson ultimately at the end of the day? And we felt like Raylan Wilson was the better athlete, but in terms of the instincts and the feel for the game, we just felt like Anthony Hill was probably on a different level. And it's not to say that Raylan Wilson won't get there, but I think he validated what we thought about him as a senior and being one of the most day one ready prospects in all of the country. We ranked him at number 17. Uh, I think he has a pretty good argument to be one of the most impactful freshmen outside of Caleb Downs this year in the top 32. Yeah, I think he probably would be number two. I don't know if you would want to go with one of those offensive tackles out there, Cooper. I mean, you could argue about positional value. With Anthony Hill, I think what you have to keep in mind is the step he is not only going to take between his freshman and sophomore seasons, but really year three, that's when you've seen the most, most growth from these guys. So the fact that he was on the field for 545 snaps for a team that made the college football playoff, I think it says a lot. And, you know, some of his best moments came in key spots like that Alabama game when uh, he came up with a few big uh, sacks. So I have no questions about Anthony Hill Maybe we should have had him a little bit higher. Yeah, I feel pretty good about that one. All right, number 18, Jerry on Dickey from Minlow Atherton, the same high school as Troy Franklin, could be a top 40 pick in this upcoming NFL draft. Jerry on Dickey at Oregon Drew. He tore his meniscus in his first game of his senior season, battled that knee injury throughout his freshman year at Oregon, 52 snaps, didn't see a lot of targets his way. Drew, this was a guy that I think all of us were very high on, I think, obviously uh, given his ranking, but just in terms of his ability to maybe step 
onto campus in Eugene and, and contribute immediately. That was not the case, uh, but did participate in five games. You know, I've kind of sniffed around this one, Drew. I've been a little bit concerned in terms of the long-term outlook. He was a three-phase guy. He did everything. He had verified markers. You talk about a guy that had pro- uh, production, also uh, checked a lot of the boxes as well from a pro- projection and athletic standpoint. I love Jury on Dickey. I'm hanging on. I still feel good about this one. I feel good about that offense. Will Stein there, Dylan Gabriel. We'll see. Um, but Oregon's going to lose some production. I mentioned Troy Franklin this year. So Jurion Dickey is going to have an opportunity to step up. I still think this guy is, is you know, capable get, of doing I'm it at a very high level. I'm getting the vibe you're nervous, Cooper. I am I'm, nervous. I'm, I said I'm nervous. You know, yeah, I mean, I'm obviously over here kind of talking to myself. But, you know, it's more – I think the injury more than anything, right? I think, um, you know, if he would have been healthy, we would have seen a lot more more from him. But, I mean, I watched the – he had an interview five days ago. He was talking about that knee injury. He, he thought at some point that this was an injury that was going to be very difficult to come back from. It wasn't until – he said he's only been 100% healthy last month. It was the first time since he's been at Oregon. So, we'll see. I'm expecting a, a completely new guy this upcoming year. Yeah, I mean, if I had – some Dre and Dickey stock, I, I think I would sell it. And I, I think he's kind of a case, and my theory on him, you know, when you – some of those guys, when they hurt the knees, man, they're just not the same player. So hopefully, modern medicine, I, I'm hoping he is confident. You know, I, I don't know if you've ever had injuries like that, Cooper, but you get a little, I don't know, timid. And I think that's something that could be holding him back. What also makes me concerned – about Jurion Dickey at, at Oregon. They just added, you know, Evan Stewart from the transfer portal. The Danimal will, will go and get whatever weapons he can. So hopefully we see him this spring uh, doing something. And is that spring game going to be like on the Big Ten network? I'm, I almost said Pac-12 network, but I, I would sell stock. But hopefully, you know, things look good here in 2024. All right, I'm going to go diamond hands on Jerry and Dickey, but I'm not I'm not far off from where you are right now. Big season coming up from him. At number 19, we will stay in the Big Ten. How about that? Deuce Robinson. Okay, you can give him the tight end designation, but not really. I don't think I saw him uh, take one inline snap this past season for USC. Drew, 169 snaps. He graded out at 66.5, according to PFF. He had the 11th most receiving snaps in a very deep receiver room for USC. 112 snaps. He had the third most receiving yards at 351. Drew, there are two plays uh, that I watched this morning from Deuce Robinson this season. One play against Nevada, another play against Washington, where they kind of wake you up. You're watching the tape, and then it's just a very clear reminder of what this guy is capable of. I think the biggest thing for him is that it was a it was a really good um, really good for me to turn on the tape and say, "Hey, this guy is dripping of physical talent, but he is pretty raw as well." I mean, we thought this guy was going to be an inline tight end. That is not the case at all. USC going full board receiver with him. He is going to have to add some muscle this offseason. I think that's the biggest thing for him in terms of creating separation off the line of scrimmage. The other thing is he can beat you so many different ways. Talk about a contested uh, pass catcher as well. Big body, really good frame, wide catch radius, natural hands, can go up and climb the ladder. Drew, this kid in terms of the speed, though, I mentioned those clips from Nevada and from Washington. His ability, once he gets in full stride to kind of separate, is very, very impressive. So, 
I'm high on this kid, everything he kind of brings uh, to the table as well. And I'll tell you this, I'm excited about the Miller-Moss era in USC. Something tells me that guys like uh, Deuce Robinson are really going to benefit. You know, you go back, you watch the tape, those two had a, a, a pretty nice rapport. I'm comfortable with this kid, uh, not to mention the talent, the genetics, everything as well. Rookie year is kind of what you expected. You brought up the uh, needing to bulk up facet of his game, and that we saw it on the screen there. Planning to play baseball uh, for the Trojans. I think college baseball starts this upcoming weekend, if uh, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. I, so it could be a little bit difficult. I, you know, to me, what what jumps out is the fact that they just used him exclusively on the outside. Did I don't think he got any inline snaps. Uh, entry level blocker. We kind of knew that. I just thought. It would be all right, you know, more of a long burn in terms of a developmental process. I, I guess, I never pictured Deuce just being deployed right away as a wide receiver. You go back to the recruitment, though. Schools were telling him that, and you know, every time you read those quotes or or you hear, it, you're like, all right. I mean, those those recruiting staffs are saying what they they have to say to get you there, and this is a case where they're actually using him as a as a wide receiver. Um, you know, so I want to see what that body looks like. But again, I think it's going to be difficult just with that baseball schedule, assuming he does do that for the Trojans. I expect a big, big year out of Deuce Robinson, USC, Lincoln Riley, Miller Moss coming back. I'm excited about his development. We'll see what happens with him. Drew, another tackle. You mentioned those guys earlier in the show, Caden Proctor, Francis Mauanoa, big years. Another guy down there in Coral Gables with a lot of expectations. How about Samson Okanlola coming down from Massachusetts? 32 snaps, graded out well, earned some playing playing time against Bethune-Cookman, also against Louisville later in the season. Jalen Rivers, Francis Malanoa anchoring both sides of the offensive line for Mario Cristobal. Drew, uh, there's um, a lot of excitement surrounding Samson Okanlola, also known as the Pancake Hancho as well. I went back, I watched the tape. I thought he was a little bit timid. You know, the thing is, is like from an agility, athleticism standpoint, there are no question marks. But in terms of that physicality, that finish, I was a little bit surprised there. I think he's got a ways to go. And the biggest thing is, though, like if I go back in my Rolodex and I remember some of the early conversations that we had about talented offensive linemen after their freshman year, everybody is just so quick to just define them, what they're going to be. This is a developmental position. It takes time. Guys like Samson Okanlola, it's going to take time. Him coming down from Massachusetts where he's the biggest, most physical specimen there is, where he's used to dominating that competition. Now you throw him in Power 5 football in the ACC. It's a little bit different, right? Francis Malanoa coming from IMG, he's seen some of the best high school talent there is over the last two years of his career. So I think the career arc is a little bit different for a guy like Okanlola. Drew, if they want to get him on the field, I actually think he can play guard. I was kind of having that conversation this morning with a friend and, and, you know, kind of picking his brain on that. And I think Okanlola has that versatility. I think this guy is very, very talented. I just think he needs reps, which is why I'm a little bit concerned is where are those reps coming from in a really talented Miami offensive line room? So yeah, I'm assuming you're holding stock here, right? Like holding on Samson because that's, that's what I'm doing. And, and primarily, is there a better situation for him to be in? Uh, you mentioned Mauanoa, Jalen Rivers coming back. It's a luxury for Miami that they have a former five-star as potentially their sixth or seventh offensive lineman. Then you think about everything the Hurricanes and Mario Cristobal have brought in on the defensive side of the ball. 
spring practices are going to be a huge proving ground out on green tree for, for Samson. That's an opportunity for him to get better. I, I, I mentioned it, you know, that, that development you see between the freshmen or I, we let's call it year one and year two, year two to year three. Uh, I think he's got a great offensive line situation there in terms of what the coaching he's getting and, you know, cross training at some of those other positions might be the thing that he needs and what he'll see in terms of what UM has in that defensive line room is only going to accelerate that development. All right, talk about a guy that maybe you put your head on the pillow and said maybe we should have had that guy a little bit higher. How about number 21, Raylan Wilson? You think about the athletic profile there. Maybe one of the most athletic prospects, uh, regardless of position, Drew. C.J. Allen, that kind of stole the show. Mentioned C.J. Allen, 390 snaps, a guy that has drawn comparisons to guys like Roquan Smith. Raylan Wilson, on the other end, 177 snaps, Drew. Played the fifth most snaps among Georgia linebackers. This is a guy uh, that can play off ball, also on ball, and situational as a pass rusher as well. Drew, you turn on the tape. Uh, and maybe the experience and the seasoning isn't there yet. He needs some polish. But in terms of, like, the pure play speed, the read and react uh, ability as well, when he triggers, uh, I don't know if there's, you know, a handful of guys in the country you kind of think of, Harold Perkins, Sunterine Perkins, maybe some of these other guys that are just so athletic, Anthony Hill, right? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of the most descriptive terms to talk about some of the most elite traits in the country at the linebacker position. That is Raylan Wilson, uh, and when I watched the tape this morning, I felt better uh, about him uh, maybe at any point than I did when he was in high school, just seeing what he has done as a freshman in those limited, played under 200 snaps. But, Drew, some of the flashes there were like, okay, uh, Kirby Smart, Glenn Schumann have definitely hit a home run with this kid. I expect him to kind of be next up, and I, I, I would not be shocked. I mean, like if he gets the run, continues to kind of understand the game, played a little bit faster, this is, this is what you look for in the NFL. It's made of guys that can do what he can do. So you're, you've been searching for a descriptor for those, you know, second-level defenders that can close gaps, right? How about like a supercharged G-Wagon? You know, you know those models I'm talking about that – are like sports cars, but they they look all powerful. That that's that's what we're gonna call Raylan Wilson here, and and we can use that maybe for Justin Williams as well. Um, no, I, we struggled going back and forth to a, you know a year ago, 13 months ago, Cooper. How do we stack these three Georgia linebacker signees? It was Raylan Wilson, C.J. Allen, and uh, Troy Bowles. C.J. Allen's a guy that got the run, but I still think we like Raylan Wilson being ahead of him. Correct. I do, just in terms of the athletic profile. I, I mean, I could be wrong at the end of the day. I think you and I, I think the real conversation was between Wilson and Allen, right? And Allen seemed a little bit more raw. He did more, I think, offensively. We felt really good about the athlete. I think we were shocked uh, to kind of look up and say, like, I think if we had to bet on one guy maybe playing 300-plus snaps, it would have been Raylan Wilson. I think the fact that it was C.J. Allen was a li- not, not a complete shock, but a little bit of a surprise. I like both these guys, man. I think both these guys ultimately at the end of the day have the ability, physical ability, and now what we're seeing with on-field experience to both go top 32. That wouldn't surprise me at all. And, and did you like my my comparison for Raylan? Are you on board with the supercharged G-Wagon? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, whatever whatever you want to, you know, Vin Diesel, Fast and Furious 11, whatever it is. I mean, he's, he's in it. That guy can roll. All right, Drew, number 22. I called you about this one this morning. 
I'm a little bit worried here about Carnell Tate, and I'll tell you why. Uh, Drew, he played a lot. He saw 292 snaps. He saw 28 targets as well. Caught 18 passes for 264 yards and a touchdown. To me, all that says is that this guy is uh, right on track, right? Marvin Harrison Jr., he's off to the NFL. He's going to play opposite of Emeka Ekbuga. You also got Brandon Ennis, Jeremiah Smith, the number one player in the country. He's coming in as well. I'm not really concerned about where he fits in on Ohio State's offense. I think he's going to be a volume guy. You can move him around. You can play him on the perimeter. You can play him inside. I love his suddenness. I love his initial quickness. The biggest question mark I had about Carnell Tate were two things. We saw him at Pylon Orlando, and he was just a guy. Um, and that was a seven-on-seven seven event, so you take that with a grain of salt. But I, 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 the reason I bring that up is because I was thinking about it today. When you turned on the tape, he was a different dude. I thought he was one of the best players on the field, regardless of what tape you were watching. The other thing is, is that he ran 4.72 twice within 12 months of each other. And I think about that. And the reason I'm bringing that up is because I thought at times this year he failed to create consistent separation that we saw at the high school level. I don't see him as a guy that is really a change gears guy that can create separation in the deep part of the field. I think he's going to operate in the intermediary, and I think he's a really good run after catch option as well. That being said, I'm talking about this in the vacuum of top 32, right? So I, I, am, I am basically just picking out certain things that I think would come up maybe three years from now uh, when NFL evaluators start looking at the tape of Carnell Tate. I love Carnell Tate. I think Carnell Tate is going to be a phenomenal collegiate player. Um, And that's not to say that he won't be a first-round pick here in maybe two to three years. Drew, that being said, that's kind of what stood out to me uh, when I watched him. And that play there is is really kind of a a good example of what I'm talking about, that top-end speed to create separation in the deep part of the field and the run-after-catch opportunities as well. I don't know. I, I like him. Do I love him? I don't think so. You know, that's kind of right. where I've been with that. Let me, let me buy your Carnell Tate stock. Let me, let me, let me get some I think this is a good example of you and I having two very different philosophies when it comes to receiver okay, position. Well, I, did, I did not dig into the PFF this morning, but talking about leaps between years, got his feet wet as a freshman at Ohio State. And just like with these Georgia linebackers, we went back and forth about how to stack Brandon Ennis, Noah Rogers, who has now transferred to NC State, and Carnell Tate. We went with Carnell Tate inside the 32, and he ended up getting the most snaps. And I think he's going to be a wide receiver, too, for the Buckeyes. He's going to be the number two option for Will Rogers. I, I don't know if Jeremiah Smith's going to step in and, and be ready to go. Uh, I think he can certainly push for playing time. So I think he's going to see more volumes come his way, and maybe – Coop, I mean, you can make the case that some of the struggles on offense, you know, weren't on Carnell Tate. Maybe it was that it was that quarterback position. I just think another year or a spring, a preseason camp under under Brian Hartline could unlock some things. And you bring up that four seven and the forty yard dash. And we always always talk about that. It's a guy that returned some kickoffs for touchdowns when he was at IMG Academy against some. Some really good teams like American Heritage. So we'll we'll see. Can I put uh, um, can I push back on you real quick about yeah. Jeremiah Smith? You don't think that Jeremiah Smith is going to be ready to come in and be and, and potentially eat up, maybe even be the number one guy in that room from day one? 
I guess I haven't really thought much about it, to okay. be honest. All right. I and so it, he's it, well. What I'm saying is, it, there's a reason that we ranked him the number one player in the country. And I I like Emeka Ekbuka. I like Carnell Tate. I love Jeremiah Smith. We think he's a generational prospect. I just think the guy's got more juice at the end of the day. I think that that, and we're going to talk about Hakeem Williams here in a second. I think the biggest thing is is that. What are you betting on at the end of the day? And I think Carnell Tate is an exceptional football player, but when it comes to Sunday NFL projection, I think it's more about the athlete. And we'll, we'll see what happens, and I think Carnell Tate is a very good athlete. The speed thing is interesting to me, and I fully expect – that's the funny thing about Ohio State's receiver room. It's a loaded room. I mean, Carnell Tate could still be receiver three at the end of the day if Jeremiah Smith is who we think he is, and you still got to make a buka there as well. I still think he's going to have plenty of opportunities in, in Chip right, Kelly's right, offense. Right. Who has more receptions three weeks into the season? They open against Akron, Western Michigan, and Marshall. Carnell or Jeremiah? I have no idea. Do you take anything away from that? I, no, but it, I, I just you know I, I want to know your. Yeah, I don't know. It would it wouldn't surprise me either way. I think they both be in the same neighborhood. Does that make sense? Okay, that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. All right, moving on. Sunterine Perkins drew 346 snaps. You talk about a uh, total X factor for Lane Kiffin and defensive coordinator Pete Golding. Uh, this guy drew. You can play him on ball, off ball, similar to Raylan Wilson, but probably more on ball responsibility. I think. I don't know. It kind of surprised me there. I, I would. I kind of expected him to kind of see playing more off ball backer. The, Ole Miss looks like they're super content playing him in a, a three four edge role. Um, Drew, like I don't know about you, I feel more comfortable about seventeen through twenty five than any other grouping we've done uh, so far. One through eight or nine through sixteen. Seventeen through twenty five. Like I look back and I'm like, yeah, all, all these guys are exactly what we thought they are and more and Sunthereen Perkins is like he was just a production monster right we didn't really have any athletic indicators on him multi-sport guy we knew he was a freak got to see him in person Alabama Mississippi I think we got to see him in Orlando as well um at the Under Armour game and I mean you talk about a guy that just like you know we're talking about Raylan Wilson getting the snaps getting the feel he played over 300 snaps. Ole Miss smartly gave him a lot of run, kind of figure it out as he goes because he's just that dynamic of an athlete. You talk about a guy that I expect to have a huge sophomore season going from year one to year two. It's Sunterine Perkins. Yeah, and I wonder if they maybe altered his role given some of the uh, veterans that they brought in via the transfer portal. You know, Ole Miss has absolutely – Re, not retooled, but refortified that unit. And I think that could free some things up for him. I have, I'm not concerned in any way about Sunserene Perkins. Remember, he was a guy from a town of like 1,500 people. He had that huge state title game. Yes, we saw him at the uh, Under Armour game, which I think is a difficult evaluation for those linebackers. They don't do much, but he flashed enough. And it says a five-star for us, and I'm glad he did. So we had them stacked. Anthony Hill, Raylan Wilson, Sunterine Perkins. A year later, would you change anything about that? I maybe Sunterine too. I'd be fascinated. Uh, I'm gonna. St- I'm gonna. I'll stick with it. I I like You're it. Gonna- I I think it's. I who knows, man. I mean, I think three years from now, and you throw C.J. Allen into there. I think it's more about fit and how these guys kind of, um, you know 
fit the potential organizations that they'll be at as well. But I think the other thing is, is that the good thing is, what do we talk about all the time, right? Like get the neighborhood right. I think we, we're in the right neighborhood with all those guys and what they're going to be. I feel really good about all those guys potentially coming off on day one of the NFL draft in what, 2027, whenever that is, 2028, right? So we'll see. All right, Drew, maybe the, my favorite one that we love talking about, Hakeem Williams. And this is a guy, you look at him, 94 snaps, he had that one dynamic play against Syracuse that I think was enough for us to chew on for the rest of the season. Um, you and I went back and forth along with, you know, other members of the scouting team on what should we do with Hakeem Williams. I was the one who championed this kid. I, I loved his background. You mentioned the swimming, the basketball. You also mentioned him. I think he touched 22-plus uh, on the MPH GPS as well. Um, Drew Saw some flashes, super raw, kind of knew year one was going to be a redshirt developmental year with him. I feel really good about this kid, you know, like better than, you know, I know you're kind of pushing back on me and Jerry on Dickey. I feel better about this kid than I do Jerry on Dickey. I think this kid's got all the goods. It's just going to come down to whether or not he can put it all together. So far, I like what I've seen. So the reviews coming out of Tallahassee, been kind of all over the place with Hakeem Williams. I think when he got there, and this isn't surprising, Cooper, given where he came out of, Stranahan High School hasn't had a big-time recruit in like 30 years. I remember that because I did his announcement live on CBS Sports HQ. I actually hosted it. He is further along than where I thought he was. I talked with someone very close to that Florida State program over the weekend. They said they were prepared to start Hakeem Williams like midseason after that catch we just saw on the screen. He was going to be a starter, which I think if you had asked me this time last year, I would have said no way because I thought it was going to take some time to get him ready to go. Hakeem ended up getting injured. I think he returned for the Orange Bowl. I expect him to be a starter for the Seminoles in 2024. They open up in Ireland against Georgia Tech. I think he's going to be a guy um, that will be making plays. Remember, they lose Keon Coleman, Johnny Wilson. They bring in Malik Benson via the transfer portal over from Alabama. But in terms of a big, freaky perimeter target, I think Hakeem is going to be the guy. So um, feeling good about it. I do feel better about him than I do Jurion Dickey. Poor, poor Jerry on Dickey taking some strays today, but that's all right. Yeah, no, I like Hakeem Williams. I like the fact we rolled the dice there. We'll see what happens with him. You mentioned Johnny Wilson. You also mentioned Keon Coleman, both those guys out. So a big opportunity for him this upcoming season. And then DJU, hopefully get right year uh, for those guys as well. All right, rounding it out, number 25, Javen Williams. Uh, Drew, this is a guy who had an excellent track and field background, the shot put in the disc. I think state champion in, in both those events. Think about him, played a little bit against Delaware, played a little bit against Michigan State. I watched the tape this morning. It kind of reminded me a little bit of Samson Okanlola. Um, and you think about, all right, what do those guys have in common? Well, as you see the tape here, um, I would say level of comp, right? <laughs> you know, coming out of coming out of PA there and Javen Williams, who's just a man amongst boys. And Drew, I think it's going to take him some time. I think the, the most encouraging thing about Javen Williams, 49 snaps this season, is that you could see the power and you could see the play strength. That is evident. Um, the other thing is, is that he is going to need some time to develop technically uh, from a footwork standpoint and from a body standpoint as well. I think that's the biggest thing is playing in sync, playing with control, playing with balance, understanding timing and when to punch 
everything that comes with that position. It's a very technical position. So once he starts to understand that nuance, I think we can see this kid continue to kind of emerge into the player that we think he can be. But the the 32 clay, I thought flashed. And that that's the biggest thing I'm trying to take away from a guy that's not Caden Proctor or Francis Malanoa. Are the things are the are the reasons that we put him in the top 32 to begin with? Are they evident? just a year later on freshman tape. I saw some of those things. He's got a long way to go, but I like the clay with him. Yeah, and, you know, I was reading through some different Penn State stories, right? Is he going to be a guy that's a starter in 2024? And it doesn't seem like that's the case. Now, I think he's going to be in a battle to potentially carve out a role in that starting five, but a bit of a, a log jam there at Penn State, which I think is a good thing. And then, Coop, the more I've thought about this since we spoke in the morning – uh, Ole Fashanu, I don't think he was a year one, year two contributor at Penn State. And he's a guy that's expected to go in the first round of the 2024 NFL draft. So uh, holding stock on Je- Jevin Williams, who, man, I-, I get fired up re-watching those highlights. I know it's not the best level of competition, but he was one of the best of just getting out in space and then absolutely just putting a defender in the grass. Could you tell I was struggling to find the words to describe what was going on on the screen? If you're, if you're listening to the pod and uh, the audio version, we were showing Javen Williams highlights, and it was just, you know, um, a man amongst boys, like I described earlier. And that's the same thing with Samson Okanlola. It does well for the confidence, right, while you're in high school. Once you get to college and you start to line up against these other guys that look like you, it uh, takes a little time to adjust. Guys, like I said – you're watching the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. We are on every Tuesday and Wednesday at 5 o'clock Eastern time. Cooper Patagna, Andrew Ivins, breaking down everything you need to know in college football recruiting. Guys, if you're watching the show right now and know you're in the chat, make sure to like and subscribe. That always helps the Oyster Boys and all the good people here at 24-7 Sports. I opened it up on X or Twitter, whatever you want to say, earlier in the day. And uh, so we got some viewer questions. We got one, Drew, and I like this one because I think it's a very good conversational piece from Skoducks, U of Fighting. Here we go. If you guys had to guess five years from now, who are the top five coaches in the sport? Who would they be? Also, does Dan Lanning in Oregon have the ceiling of a number one recruiting class or is the location too much to overcome relative to where talent hotbeds are at? Great question. Let's start with the first one. Drew, I put mine in the text thread uh, this morning, and I think I changed my answer about six different times. I don't know if our our, our friends here were able to put a, a graphic of who my top five are, but I guess I'll start. I guess I'll start. Um, and then I don't know if you've put your five together, but I'm going to go at the top, Kirby Smart. I think he has dominated this game. I think with uh, the absence of Nick Saban, we've always talked about, all right, who is going to be the guy in the program that will emerge as the face of college football? Look no further than Kirby Smart. The devil's advocate part of this, Drew, is we've talked a lot about coaches leaving for the NFL. That has become somewhat normal. And I'm not saying Kirby Smart is going to go to the NFL. I think Kirby Smart, more than anybody, is dealing with the new just fierce reality of what college football is and to his credit Georgia has excelled in the new age of college football but Drew I mean five years is a long time right who knows what can happen in five years I'm, I'm expecting Kirby Smart to still be hanging around but I'm just saying I mean we, we've talked about it I guess I'm laying the groundwork like I would not be shocked if one of these days one of these guys just said you know what that's enough for me and if it was Kirby Smart 
yeah, would I be surprised? But I wouldn't be shocked. But five years from now, I still have him uh, as king of college football. And then at number two, the Danimal, man. Uh, you know I'm a huge fan of Dan Lanning, what he's done. Uh, highest ranked recruiting class in program history this past year at Oregon. I think the arrow is only pointing up, Drew. I think they're just getting started. They bring in Dylan Gabriel. They bring in Dante Moore. You, th- you think about the five-year um, – uh, projection as well and where these guys are going just in terms of trajectory. I love the way they're recruiting the point of attack. I love the Danimal at number two. I love the fact he's committed to Oregon. I love the fact Oregon Phil Knight is committed to him. I think these guys are going to win one national title uh, five years from now. I think they'll have one uh, in the bag. All right, three, Ryan Day. Whatever happened over the last three years, I'm glad it happened for Ohio State. Might be the best thing to ever happen to them uh, in that Ohio State program. They have got their act together. You think about guys like Quinshawn Judkins. Think about guys like Caleb Downs. You think about guys like Julian Sane. They bring in Chip Kelly. They're done. They're saying, you know what? We're Ohio State. It's time to win a national championship. Time to bring it home. Going to exercise some demons against Michigan. I like that newfound attitude. Ryan Day, I still think one of the best coaches in the country. Throw all that Michigan stuff outside the window. I think he gets that figured out soon. Norvell at number four. Drew, how crazy uh, of of a rise in the personal Cooper Patagna rankings for Mike Norvell. But, Drew, I think about the transfer portal, and then you think about what they've been able to do, not only on the field but in high school as well. You combine those two together. This year in 2024 was really the first time that we saw those two forces really collide. If that's who they're going to be, they're going to be scary down the road. I like Mike Norvell. I like Florida State. I like what he's got cooking. I got him at number four. And then at number five, Steve Sarkeesian in Texas. They got all the resources in the world. You think about their window to win a national title in the college football playoff this year. I love the way that they're recruiting from a, a talent acquisition standpoint. I think they're rolling right now. Drew, the only question I really have is crazy. After this year, you know, after Kelvin Banks is gone, I, I'm not worried. I do have some question marks about that offensive line. Uh, love what they have at the quarterback position. Love what they have at the skill position. They've continued to be aggressive on the defensive side of the ball. Um, but offensive line is kind of a lingering question over the next couple of years to kind of see what happens. Remember, this is five years out. The next two guys for me, Drew, number six, Hugh Freeze, number seven, Luke Fickle, some notable guys off, Lane Kiffin, Kalen DeBoer, Marcus Freeman, Brian Kelly. But that was my quick deep dive into my top five and where the game, I think, stands in terms of the best coaches five years from now. All right, I'm not going to go through my top five because I think it was pretty similar, but I'm going to pick your brain on a few of these guys you didn't have on there. First, I want to note, What's interesting about this question is it's five years down the line. I think this is a young man's game at the current state. We'll see what changes in the coming years. But there is a youth movement. I think that is because of the current calendar. So I wrote all these guys down because I think they'll be retired at this point. See if you push back here. Brian Kelly, five years from now. And this is Andrew Math, so it might be off by a little bit. He'll be 67. Is he still at LSU? Probably not, right? I think he's done. Kyle, Kyle Whittingham, 69, he's done. Uh, Willie Fritz, 68, I would assume he's done. Mike Gundy, he'd be 61, I don't know there. I oh, think no. Gundy and Fritz five years from now are still standing, quite honestly. Okay. Mark <laughs> Stoops will be 60, 61, is he still there? He's still rolling, yep. Uh, Mac Brown, 77, he's out. He's out. He's out. Okay. So, <laughs> out Brown. of your top. <laughs> Mac Brown. All right, go ahead. 
Kirby Smart will be 53. Dan Lanning will be 43, which was eye-opening. Ryan Day will be 49. Mike Norvell will be 47. Steve Sarkeesian will be 55. Did you did you mention Luke Fickle? He was one I had was going to ask you. I had Fickle at number seven. Yeah, fifty five. He'll be fifty five. Okay. What about Eli Drinkwitz? Forty five. You didn't mention Eli Drinkwitz. I, did I not. think he's a potential riser. I think he is. A, I think he is a riser. I think he's kind of in that top twelve. He's right there. I mean, you could you could interchange him with maybe a guy like Marcus Freeman. We'll see. I had Freeman at ten. I think Drinkwitz is a guy I gave a little bit of credence to, but I think. You know, saw the one big year this year, but if he can do it back-to-back, I think for sure, definitely in that conversation. Dabo. You didn't mention Dabo. Mm-mm. I did not mention Five Dabo. He's fit, he'll I be have no idea where – I don't know. I have no idea where Clemson will be in okay. five years. He is 170 and 43 with two national titles and eight ACC titles. Here's my question to you. Does Dabo Sweeney have another national title? five years from now well if they sign this o-line classes no i'm just kidding i i don't know i don't know I, that's yes why or I no the list. yes or no I, probably not yeah i'm gonna say no too what about the oyster boys five okay. years from now you'll be 36 over under a kid and a half okay <laughs> i got I, I did write down three sleepers three sleepers okay all right what you got so they would take it would take some big rises here in the next few years, but I think I want to highlight these names. Jamie Chadwell, he'd be 52 in five years from now. He's 52 and 23 at Coastal and Liberty. Has another big year. Who knows where he ends up? Mike Elko, he'll be 51, 16 and nine in two seasons at Duke. Moves to Texas A&M. This is the one I'm really tracking. Rhett Lashley, 45 years old. Fresh off an 11-3 season at SMU. They're moving into the ACC. Just saying. How old was Ryan Day when he got the job at Ohio State? You said he'll be 49 in five years? Dude seems like he's 65. Elko seems like he's 65. Again, my math might be off (laughs) a little bit, but we're we're at the buzzer. All right, last question, because there was a follow-up question to this. Does Dan Lanning ever have the ceiling of a number one recruiting class at Oregon? This made me think. You want me to go first? Yes. Given where we are with recruiting right now, I don't think it's as regionally focused as it has been with the name, image, likeness, and all that stuff. Still, SEC has signed, or an SEC school has the number one class for 16 straight years on 24-7 sports. I don't know, but I guess if there was a team to to buck the trend, maybe Oregon? Very doable. I would say yes. I think the biggest thing is is that Oregon has to break through. And what I mean a breakthrough would be playing in the national championship or winning the national championship. And if they do that, then yes, they're very capable. And I think Oregon's closer to winning a national championship than, than people think. I think it could happen in the next two years. Is that crazy? No, I'm not pushing back. Yeah, okay. All right, guys, we appreciate the questions as always, Drew. You didn't answer my question. Oyster Boys, five years. You think we'll be here doing this show? Hopefully. (laughs) I don't know. know. We'll see about that.
Guys, for Andrew Ivins, I'm Cooper Patagna. We appreciate you joining us. We will be back same time, 24-7 Sports YouTube channel tomorrow. Make sure to like and subscribe. Appreciate you guys watching. Have a great rest of your day.